It's so good to be with you again. Every family has challenges, and there's no exception to that, because every person has challenges. No matter how old we are or how young we are, what kind of family we grew up in, we all struggle with things. We are all born with the sin nature. We all have this marked propensity inside to do wrong. And we have evil all around us from the enemy of our souls. So family life becomes a challenge. Issues come up that need to be resolved. Over the years, as we've counseled, parents have often called and asked, do you counsel children? So we explain it's better to start with mom and dad and work down from there. But some moms and dads don't really think they may be part of the problem because many parents have unresolved issues from their past and that affects their relationships today, which can, of course, include our children. And all of this can raise a question. As we've done seminars over the years and had question and answer periods, this is one of the questions that came up, comes up so many times. And it's simply this. Do I really need to go back into my past to resolve issues? Didn't all that come under the blood when I became a Christian? Why do I have to go back there? Well, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Well, someone just talked to me recently, and uh, when they got saved, he looked at this verse, and he took this verse this way. Now that I'm a Christian, everything's going to be perfect. I won't sin anymore. I won't struggle with past issues. I won't get angry. I won't get depressed anymore. But the fact is, he did. Everything didn't just change. He still struggled with things, had some of the same sin patterns. So he started to feel, well, maybe the Christian life just doesn't work. Or maybe I'm really not saved. Maybe God doesn't really care about me. Maybe I'm just not good enough for God. So in this session, I want to address this whole issue of going back into our past. Is this a biblical thing to do? Is it a necessary thing to do? Is it an optional thing to do? What is this really all about? Well, let's start by looking at what we are as human beings. We have a material part to us, that's our physical body, and we also have an immaterial part with our soul and our spirit. Well, our physical part is uh, made up of our body, as we said. We have five senses. We have sight, smell, taste, hearing, feeling, and we have needs and desires. We need food, we need water, we need sleep, we need activities. All of that 
that goes with our physical body. But then we have an immaterial part, and that's our soul and spirit. Here's what the Bible says about the heart when we're apart from God in the natural man. Jeremiah uh, 17.9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. In the New Testament, Jesus said this in Mark uh, 17.21, For from within... Out of the heart of man proceed evil thoughts, adulterers, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within a man, and that's what defiles him. Then in Romans chapter 3, uh, 8 to, or 10 to verse 18, gives a very graphic picture here about the human heart apart from God. And I will let you read those verses on your own. So here is a picture of the human heart. It overlaps all the functions of the soul and spirit. So, the natural man's heart is anti-God, wants nothing to do with God. He's separated from God. The human heart can't even pursue God until he draws a person to himself. That talks about that in John 6, 44. And here's the reality of the human heart apart from God. If any one of us was given enough time on this earth with this unregenerate heart apart from God, we would all eventually degrade ourselves to the most despicable, sinful things imaginable. We all have that ability with a heart that's separated from God. That's the condition of the human heart. So this is the natural man, not a pretty sight. But when God draws the natural man to himself and starts convicting him in his spirit, what happens? Well, he communicates with our spirit. He shows me I'm lost. I'm without hope. My sin has separated me from God. And I realize that I need a savior. Then I am coming to a place of choice. Am I going to pay for my sin for all eternity and experience spiritual death apart from God forever? Or am I going to allow the Lord Jesus to be my personal death substitute? Well, here are some of the passages of scripture that describe for us the spiritual man. A spiritual man is one who receives the Lord Jesus. And that's the one who is connected with God in his spirit. Well, first of all, in John uh, 1.12, it says this, describing the spiritual man. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. 
The spiritual man is a child of God. In John 3, verse 6 to 8, that which is born of the spirit, uh, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The spiritual man is a person who has been born again of the spirit of God. Then in Revelation 20, verse 15, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. A spiritual man has his name written in the book of the life, in the book of life, and that will determine who's going to be saved at the end. Then in Romans 8:16, it says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are all children of God. The Holy Spirit enters into us. As a spiritual man. These are all the things that happen when we become a child of God. Then in Ephesians 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood and we have forgiveness of sins. What an amazing thing it is to put your head on your pillow at night and know that your sins are forgiven. Then in Philippians 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do. That means he gives us the desire and the ability to follow him. That's what this spiritual man has. We, don't, we can't have that desire by ourselves. God gives us that desire and that ability. Then in Hebrews 12, uh, sorry, Hebrews 4 verse 12, the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Well, the Bible becomes alive to us. The word of God becomes living to us. The natural man can't even understand the Bible. But the spiritual man, the word of God comes alive to us. Well, then in John 16, 13, the Holy Spirit teaches us truth. When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He's there to teach us, to lead us, to convict us. Then in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The spiritual man is declared by God to be holy totally accepted by God. And we have to be holy to be accepted by God. But the spiritual man, as he confessed his sins, becomes holy in God's sight. Then John 3, 36, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. One of the things that the spiritual man has is the fact that he will never see the wrath of God, which is going to be poured out on sin. We'll never see that as believers. Then in Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The spiritual man has peace with a holy God. And then in 2 Peter 1 verse 4, his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything we need in this life 
God supplies to us. Then in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The spiritual man gets a new heart. Our Christian life begins. And when we our Christian life begins, God starts a work in us that he promises to complete it, complete that in us. In Philippians 2, 12 and 13, he gives us direction here. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. He gives us the desire and the ability to work out our salvation. Well, what does he mean by this? Well, he's not talking about working for our salvation. He's talking about the work of sanctification. Becoming more like Jesus in every part of us. And this is a lifelong process. He wants us to work out our salvation. Everything that we just walk through that he's given to us, he wants us to work this through in every part of us. God wants us to take um, the word of God by the spirit of God to transform every part of us. He wants to transform our mind, our will, our emotions. He wants to take all the things that he's given to us to every part of us. Well, why do we do this? Well, the soul didn't change when we became a spiritual man. We can still have the same sinful habits that we had that isn't changed yet. Our mind, our, our intellect doesn't change. Uh, the emotions, maybe some of the damage we have in our emotions didn't change. Our personality doesn't change when we become a Christian. Our spirit is transformed, but our soul needs yet to be transformed. We can still have attitudes that aren't right, that aren't changed. We can have emotional pain after we're saved. Our memories are still the same after we become a spiritual man. My body didn't change. I'm still the same weight. I still can have the same eating habits. That's our soul, but our spirit was transformed. Our spirit became alive to God, made new, and the Holy Spirit enters our spirit and calls us holy. Well, how do we actually take the Spirit of God into the rest of our life with the Word of God? Then in Romans 12, verse 2, it says this, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's applying the Word to every area of our life. And then in Romans 12, 1, Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Applying the word to our life in every area will also give benefits to 
our body. So let's bring this down to where we really live. Over the 20 years of helping people and counseling, I would say more ground is given to the enemy through an unforgiving, bitter heart in people's lives than anything else. So let me just illustrate with one particular issue, and I'm, I'm just going to make something up here. Let's say something happened to me when I was 15 years old. Somebody really hurt me. Somebody devastated me. And it made me very angry and all confused inside. But as, as a 15-year-old, I don't know what to do with that. So I typically just stuff it deep down in my heart. And I'm never going to think about that thing again. It was too hard. It was too painful. It was too hurtful. I'm never going to talk to anybody about it. Never going to tell anybody. That is history in my life, and it's never going to come up again. So let's say I get saved when I'm 25 years old, and the Spirit of God enters into me, enters into my spirit, and everything starts to change. All those amazing things that we read about that a believer has starts to kick in for me, and God miraculously give me give me a new heart. Did I even think about that issue that happened when I was 15 years old? Probably not. When I got saved. Did I think about it? Nah. It's still deep deeply buried in my heart, in my soul, and I have a root of bitterness. And the Bible says, I will defile others if I have a root of bitterness. And I'm going to probably defile them with my anger because that anger doesn't go away. If it's in my heart, it's going to keep coming out. And it's going to keep coming out in relationships. So sin does not stand still. Let's say another 25 years goes by. And now I'm 50 years old. Does time heal bitterness? Does time heal the pain that led us into the bitterness? No, it doesn't. I become a captive of the sin of bitterness and everything that met, that, that may lead to because sin, sin does simply not stand still. <clears throat> I remember when I was pastoring that we had a visiting speaker he was an itinerant preacher and he came to our our church to speak. And uh, as we were talking after with this person, he, he traveled all around North America speaking in different churches. And he was in this one church and you could cut the air. It was so thick. It just seemed like there was problems. So as he talked to the one of the elders after he had dinner with him, he said, is everything okay in the church here? Is, is, um, is, are things going well? And the elder says, yeah, well, we, we really have some challenges. There's, there's two families here that, that are just not getting along, and it's not good. 
And so they talked more about it. As time went by through the dinner, uh, this preacher asked the elder, so how long has this been going on? And the elder thought, and he said, well, I, I, I think it's probably 20 years that this problem has gone on. Does time heal bitterness? No. No, it doesn't. So what is the solution? So if I'm 50 years old and deep in my heart, I'm still bitter about something that happened when I was a teen, what should I do? Well, I need to take the word of God by the spirit of God. I need to go to that place in my heart and really repent of my bitterness. And whatever pain is there that maybe just broke my heart, let Jesus heal that pain. In Luke 14, or Luke 4, verse 18, Jesus said this. He said, I came to preach the gospel to the poor. As he was laying out before the people, when he was just starting his earthly ministry, he laid out why he came. I came to preach the gospel to the poor. And then he said, I came to heal the brokenhearted. I came to set the captives free, free from the bondage of sin. And getting free from unresolved emotional and spiritual issues, the um, bitterness, uh, just the one example I gave here of bitterness, that's a spiritual issue. I need to repent of that. But then there's the, the emotional part of us. And Jesus said, I came to even heal your emotions. I came to heal broken hearts. And all of this is part of our sanctification. And nothing happens to us that God can't heal and forgive. In conclusion, let me bring some of the objections that we have heard why people <clears throat> should not go in to their past. <clears throat> and the first one is in Second uh, Corinthians 5.17, and we read this verse before. It talks about us becoming a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And all things here is not referring to the perfection of our soul part of us, because that's a process of sanctification that is going to carry on until we die. Uh, it's kind of a general term. Well, in fact, even the NASB, which is a more literal translation, it translates that part this way. Behold, new things have come. So many old things have passed. So our whole life takes a different direction. But that doesn't mean that we've that the soul part of us that is, is, is looked after and we can have unresolved spiritual issues and unresolved emotional issues. And also in, in second, or I'm sorry, Philippians three, verse 13, he says, Paul speaking, forgetting those things which are behind. Well, this does not mean we don't deal with unresolved sin issues and unresolved spiritual issues. Once we have those things cleared up in our heart or any pain, uh, then we can move on and forget those things which are behind. In Acts 24, 16 and in 1 Timothy 1, uh, the scriptures talk about 
keeping your conscience clear. And whenever we talk about clearing up our conscience, we're always going back into our past. It didn't happen in the future. It happened in our past. And sometimes those things that need to be cleared as far as our conscience goes can go back two days. It can go back two months. It can go back two years. Or it can go back for decades. So an example in scripture is when Zacchaeus had an encounter with Jesus and it looks like he, he got converted and started following Jesus. What's the first thing he did? He went and he went back and he cleaned up all the money he had stolen from people, extorted from people. And would there be a time limit on that? Absolutely not. Then in Ephesians 1, verse 7, it says, All of our sins are forgiven. It's all gone. So everything is under the blood. So why do I have to go back and deal with anything when it's all under the blood? Well, it's under the blood as far as salvation goes. But for sanctification and walking with God, we need to make things right on an ongoing basis. We can even slip up and sin after we become believers, but we have the promise if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Another objection that can come up, um, going back into people's past encourages people to have uh, or become victims of their past, and they develop a victim mentality. Well, we're not talking about making people victims. We're not talking when we take somebody into their heart to, to deal with hurt issues. We're not talking about blaming anybody else or even necessarily taking it to them and telling them how bad they really messed us up. No, no. We can deal with these things in our heart just between us and God. We forgive and deal with things because we've been forgiven and God has dealt with us. No, there's nothing to do with making people victims or blaming them or blaming somebody else for what happened to us. Then there's also fear. That can be a stumbling block for people going into their hearts and really dealing with things because sometimes we don't really know what's in our hearts. We can fear the pain that we might run into. We can fear just losing control. We can be fearful of what they know is in their hearts. But here's the reality when it comes to dealing with things. The Lord Jesus Christ when he wants to do heart surgery on us, he's a perfect gentleman. And he will give wisdom and grace to deal with whatever is in our hearts. And one of the best ways that we can just really help our children and our families, our grandchildren, is just to deal with the issues that we're dealing with. That will be the biggest encouragement to helping them deal with what's in their heart. So we as parents and grandchildren, grandparents and parents, we need to just apply this to our own lives and be an example for our children and be like the psalmist David when he said, 
Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. As a believer, you have everything you need to deal with anything that's in the heart that needs to be resolved. You have the spirit of God. You have the word of God. And sometimes we need somebody else to come alongside of us and just help us with some of these things. It can be really difficult just to deal with this. Some of these things that are so hurtful by ourselves. Let's pray before we go. Father, we are so grateful for the work that you have done in our lives. Thank you for all the promises that you give us. As we've even talked right now, maybe issues have come up in people's hearts that are listening that they know they just need to deal with and get free from so they can really have a relationship with you and with others the way you really designed us to do. So we ask you, Father, to guide each one of us to walk with you in freedom. And we pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.